Heavenly Father, thank you um, for a glimpse of how you work in the lives of uh, others, uh, the photographs and uh, the smiles on the mission trip participants. Um, remind us that uh, your church is alive and active, sometimes in, in a service like that. Uh, and we give thanks for the students and for the adults who were willing to give up that whole week to, uh, to serve others. Um, but we know as important as that, that service is to others that you tell us that before we can ever go and do that, there's something else that has to happen. Um, and so we pray that as we look at the story today in the life of Jesus, uh, it'd be pretty clear to us um, what motivates us, what empowers us, what makes possible um, a life of service to others. So thank you for loving us and thank you for giving us your word. Um, and we pray now that our hearts and minds would be open to what the word has to say. In your son's most holy and precious name, all God's people said, amen. All right. Well, grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen? Amen. amen. Hey, even as a small crowd, I can get a few amens, right, today? All right. Well, last week, uh, if you were able to join us, and certainly if you were not able to, uh, I introduced to you a concept from the Gospel of Luke. And that's a concept that Luke introduces to us, and that is this idea of travel narratives, all right, travel narratives. And the summer is a great time to talk about travel narratives, right, because not only do we see mission trips happening, but vacations, um, you know, people take the opportunities more than any other time of year to go on some adventure, near or far, um, some type of um, travel uh, opportunity uh, they're able to do. Um, so, and Luke, for our benefit, recounts the life and ministry of Jesus in the context of travel, uh, travel, uh, travel narrative. And the travel narrative then is going to take us all the way to Jerusalem, right, where Jesus uh, will give his life uh, for us and only to take it up again, of course, uh, the, res the crucifixion and the resurrection. But along this road to Jerusalem, this travel narrative records those episodes where Jesus is teaching, right? He's teaching the disciples, and he's teaching that, that second concentric circle, if you will, of onlookers, the men and women and the children who are interested in this, in this guy who's teaching with authority and seems to be doing some pretty miraculous things. And then addition to the, to the disciples and, and that second ring of folks is that outside ring of, of religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, even those who are well-connected politically. Uh, and so this travel narrative really is an opportunity for Jesus to teach into the lives of those who will hear him on the road to uh, Jerusalem. Now, uh, this week is a little bit different from last week. Last week we did the story of the Good Samaritan, and I'll uh, briefly go over that real quick. Uh, but today we're going to stop. Jesus needs to rest, right? I mean, you can imagine, right? No, no airplane, no car, no train service, right? The scripture tells us that the Son of Man had no place to lay his head, so he didn't really have a lot of personal possessions, uh, no horses, donkeys, chariots, right? So he's walking, walking to Jerusalem, right? And so the journey uh, takes a while, and it, as it takes a while, it takes a lot out of you, so he's got to rest. So what's he going to do? Well, he's going to go into the home of Mary and Martha. Call it the first century Airbnb, right? First century bed and breakfast. 
Um, he's going to stop and he's going to rest because he's been welcomed into their home. And so let's look at the text and then we'll go from there. All right, here's the text. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, again, you hear that sort of travel narrative, on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and you're upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one thing. And Mary, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. All right, so that's the text. So you get some idea of what's going on in this first century house, right? (laughs) Um, That uh, one is serving and the sister is uh, obviously upset about the other one who is not. So, all right. Now, last week, as I said, we talked about the story of the Good Samaritan, and the big takeaway from the story of the Good Samaritan was mercy, was compassion. This idea that, uh, uh, that you and I are like that victim that is bloodied, left for dead, uh, on the side of the road, and it's Jesus Christ uh, as the Good Samaritan who comes into our life uh, and who, who revives us, resuscitates us, uh, who takes care of us, who provides for you and for me. Right? Not only the material and daily needs that we have as people of God, but also our eternal needs. He shows us mercy and he shows us compassion. And today it continues that theme, but in a different way. That is, it's not a story, but it, as I said earlier, it becomes a real life event for Jesus. It becomes a real-life event for the people in Martha's household that day because the Son of Man, who has no place to lay his head, again, as Scripture tells us, he's seeking out a place of hospitality. He's seeking out an environment that will welcome him, and in so doing, he's seeking out a place where he can be refreshed uh, and renewed. Reminds me of a story by the author uh, Patrick Fermer. Um, He was... Uh, considered to be one of the great travel writers of the last century, kind of along the lines of Eric Newby, if you've ever read any uh, travel writings. Uh, Patrick Fermer would also go on to become a a decorated uh, veteran of the Second World War. Um, But Patrick Fermer, when he was 17, left home in England, okay, traveled to Holland, and then from Holland he walked all the way to Istanbul in the 1930s. Think about that. You're 17, you leave home, and you set out with nothing but the backpack on your back, right? And the only way that he was able to make it, right, from Holland to Istanbul was because of the hospitality, the compassion, and the mercy of the people he met along the way. People who maybe loaned him a horse for the day or invited him to to jump on the barge as it cruised down the Rhine. I mean, you get this idea that no one could ever accomplish such a feat uh, without the welcoming nature of uh, others in their life. And so the same is for Jesus. Will he encounter hosts of graciousness or will they be hostile to his message? Well, thankfully, in this particular case, you've heard what seems to be a welcoming place, except for one thing, right? 
except for one thing. He's been triangulated into a squabble between sisters. How awkward, right? How awkward. Triangulated into a squabble between sisters. All right, so what do we have? Well, in the text, Mike, would you put that back up, just the, uh, the first part, the larger part? Just to have it for, okay, yeah. So what do we have? Well, first we have a conversation, right, between Jesus and Martha. Did you recognize Mary isn't recorded as saying anything in the text? She doesn't speak, right? Uh, and the focus moves back and forth between Mary and, and Martha to show the different types of hospitality. And as we move through the text, then we see those two perspectives. First is Martha's generous hospitality, right, in terms of material hospitality, as she receives Jesus into her home. And there's, I don't know, maybe it's ironic, Martha, Martha Stewart, I don't, never mind. He's sleeping at the, but Mary, but Mary, she shows a different perspective or priority by sitting at the feet of Jesus to hear his word. Uh, She, in effect, shows a hospitality of listening. Think about that. Don't you love it when you have someone in your life, like a coworker or a family member or a neighbor, someone who just listens to you? That when you want to talk, they're there simply uh, to listen to what you have to say. They're concerned with what you have to say. They're not interjecting. Uh, they're not cutting you off. Uh, they're not sharing any examples from their own life, but they simply sit there and pay attention to you, right? You appreciate that, don't you? Well, I would say Mary then is showing the hospitality of listening. But what does the Luke text go on to tell us? Well, Martha's burdened with serving, right? Meal prep. Um, And this is where the triangulation begins. She draws Jesus, her guest, into this family dispute. Uh, And what makes everything worse is that her sister's right there, right? My sister who is not helping. All right, so... Martha is burdened with one type of hospitality, and Mary is absorbed in another. And so Jesus enters the dialogue by greatly admonishing Martha's worry over her kind of hospitality, and he states his preference. Go ahead and put up verse 42. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. All right, now that's a rebuke, right? That must have been uncomfortable in that house that afternoon, right? Um, Martha was sure of her perspective. She was sure of her priority, wasn't she? She thought she was in the right. Now, we easily discern from the point of this story. Don't be so distracted and concerned about doing good that you actually neglect what is more important. That is listening to Jesus, right? And hearing the word of God, right? Don't become so distracted by tasks. Don't become so distracted um, by what you have to do that day that you get up that you forget or set aside your time in the Word to listen to what God has to tell you for that day. So I think in one sense, this is where the Spirit convicts, right? The Spirit confronts us and and causes us to, to maybe take a look at the way we schedule our day and ask ourselves, are we scheduling adequate time in the Word of God uh, by the very power of the Holy Spirit to seek, uh, 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 to seek something from God as He promises to give us something, right? Does it challenge our life of faith? I mean, I think, let's be honest, it's so easy to become task-oriented in our world today, Right? <laughs> I mean, we all have to-do lists. There are apps. 
that are supposed to increase our productivity, right? Um, we are taught that we need to be achievers, right? Constantly um, um, bettering ourselves, right? Becoming um, different than, than who we are now, right? And so at this point in the story, let me just simply ask you, do you feel like you relate more to Martha or do you feel like you relate more to Mary, right? If you were to sit down and take personal inventory of your life, who do you feel better reflects where you're at at this point? I remember um, when we were at seminary, uh, sometimes the families would get together for, for dinner. Uh, it'd be a way for us to kind of decompress. And uh, we, there was a family that we'd eat occasionally with, but it was kind of the strangest thing. I mean, great people. Uh, and I think they're, they're serving somewhere up north, you know. But the, the gal, she loved to host. That was her thing, right? Um, which is great. But she would keep herself so busy, right, that she would never come and sit at the table, right? It was like she wouldn't even enjoy the meal uh, or, the, or the conversation. Um, and she would continually excuse herself to go back to the kitchen to get this, get that. And you're like, wait, stop, you know, you're making me feel bad, first of all. But aren't you missing the point of having folks over to sit at the table, right? So anyway, the problem confronting Martha, right? Because when you think about it, you're like, well, wait a minute. But she's showing hospitality to the Son of Man, right? Scripture says he's got no place to lay his head, so come on, pastor. Isn't that something we can give her? And Scripture also goes on to tell us that the one who receives Jesus receives the one who sent Jesus, right? So what are we going to make of this episode then where perhaps we assume that Martha was actually doing the right thing? Well, think about it this way. In the broader context of Luke's travel narrative theme, we find additional episodes of what I would call our eating and drinking with Jesus, right? This isn't the only time that people gather around the table, uh, so to speak, uh, with Christ. And these episodes, though, around the table are teaching episodes, all right? Uh, it's this idea around food and friends that you've got a captive audience, right? I mean, I know as a, as a parent, we have tried to maintain as best as possible over the years that we all eat dinner together around the table. Why? Right? Not only to create that sense of family, but it's an opportunity for me and my wife to check in with the girls, right? To, to hear what's going on in their life, maybe to, to see if they're even listening to us, right? You know what I mean? It's a captive audience in every sense of the word, but that's not the primary lesson. Consider that the issue in the text really is whether one is, is first to serve the Lord or first be served by him. Did you hear that? That the issue in the text, the challenge before those who are gathered around Jesus is, do I serve you first or do I let you serve me first? Because as humans, really, you know, I joked earlier, but we do want to jump into the Martha Stewart mode, right? If I have someone over to my house, I host. But it's Mary who's correct. She sits at the feet of Jesus to receive divine service from him. Instead of first trying to serve Jesus, she allows him to use his gifts for his purposes in her life. Or maybe put it another way, hospitality to the Lord is first expressed in our acceptance of God's word, right? Where the gifts of God's kingdom are given to you and me first, 
Romans uh, 14, if you'd put that up there, Mike, please. Let's read this together. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so the only way that we can understand this righteousness, experience this peace and this joy in our lives as the people of God is to hear about it, right? Uh, Hear about it from Jesus. And then, and only then, after receiving from him, can she respond in hospitality to the Lord, right? Martha's mistake was in thinking that she was the host and Jesus was the guest, But brothers and sisters, what we try to convey as we read through the word is this idea that God doesn't work the way the world works, right? God doesn't work the the way the world works. He works opposite the way the world works, right? He turns things right side up um, where we recognize that he is the principal actor. He is the initiator. Not only did he bring you and me into existence and he brought us to faith, uh, and he's not even asking to be served first, but he's telling us that he wants to serve us before we ever begin a life of service to others. That brothers and sisters, he doesn't demand performance from us. He doesn't uh, expect us to earn our angel wings, ha ha ha, right? But he gives you and me grace and forgiveness and mercy and power in his lives to live as his people. I mean, think about the night Jesus is arrested, right? What's he doing? He's serving, right? He's serving the meal, right? He's washing the feet of the disciples, right? He's not taking from them, is he, at all? But he's only giving. Think about earthly lords and kings, Caesars and and, and pharaohs. They demand much from their subjects, right? But not this King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Because the one thing needful is the gift that Jesus has come to bring. And we show hospitality to Christ when we receive his word. As good as the meal may have been, the story is the idea that Jesus' teaching is even better. And that is something that will never be taken from us as the people of God, right? The table can be cleared, right? After the dishes are done. (laughs) Think about it this way. A couple things. Mary of Bethany, again, back in the Luke text, she never said a word, right? Yeah. We see Mary three times. And each time, where is Mary? At the feet of Jesus. Do you know that? Three times Mary appears in the Gospels, and three times she's at his feet. The first time is what you just saw earlier today, uh, right? Listening to his word from chapter 10. Uh, The next will be at the death of her brother Lazarus, where she has fallen to Jesus' feet and has pleaded for her brother's life, right? And then will be chapter 12, when she comes to the feet of Jesus and she pours out that vial of perfume, right? Now, as an aside, speaking of perfume, what's so interesting, and it's certainly a topic for another day, is that each three uh, times we find Mary at the feet of Jesus, there are three different smells, I don't want to make too much of it, but I find it interesting uh, that the first time, um, they're food, the second time, death, and the third time, perfume. I don't know. Maybe there's something for it. But anyway, Mary and Martha are contrasted as though each believer has to, to, to make a choice. Be a worker like Martha or a worshiper like Mary. 
Certainly our personalities and our gifts are different, but the Christian life of follower, as a follower of Jesus is not an either-or situation. I don't want you to think that from reading the text. The idea is simply this. We first receive from Jesus so that then we are empowered to go and serve others. Not simply in our human capacity, which is limited, but in the unlimited capacity of God's grace and mercy and power. Another way of looking at it is I came across this quote um, What we do with Christ is far more important than what we do for Christ. Think about that. What we do with Christ is far more more important, more important, (laughs) far more important than what we do for Christ. Uh, Again, not an either or. But a recognition that first being with Christ is necessary to effectively work for Christ. John 15, 5. Jesus says, you can do nothing without me, right? And that famous confrontational but profound verse with Jesus versus Satan in the wilderness. Man does not live by bread alone, right? But by the word of God. Look, all due respect to Martha. Okay, I mean, she gets the sort of she comes across the text getting the, all the criticism. What happened? She allowed the busyness of life to cause her to feel overworked, exhausted, pulled apart, right? She was, in fact, trying to serve two masters, right? I can tell you this, uh, and you can ask my family for verification, right? But if serving Christ makes you difficult to live with, then something is wrong. <laughs> and it ain't Jesus, right? Does that make sense? Now, if you were to continue to read, all right, you would discover that in chapter 12, following the raising of their dead brother Lazarus, Martha appears again serving another meal, all right? And this time the text tells us, I think from, from who's there, you can count at least 15 people at the table. So that's a lot of work, right? Now we don't know. I'm hoping she had help, not just from Mary. But hopefully the, the disciples helped out too, right? Got to, the guys helped a little bit as well. But I think by this time we can glean from the text that she has come to learn on her journey with Jesus and us too that where she needs to be and what she needs to be doing starts in the presence of Christ. First we sit before we can serve. In Jesus' name, amen.